Friends, have you ever experienced loneliness? I mean, that kind of loneliness that just you feel dysfunctional. Maybe nobody can even tell how lonely you feel. You can be in a room full of people and yet feel as though no one cares about you. Well, I'm Sharon Betters and I'm the co-host of this Help and Hope podcast. My son, Chuck, is joining us today as our co-host. Chuck has had over 30 years of pastoral experience and is now serving with his wife with Path to Freedom Ministry for sex traffic girls. And so he brings a lot to the table. But our guest today is Lou Priolo, who understands loneliness because of the work that he has done with so many people through his counseling ministry. Lou is the founder and president of Competent to Counsel. He is a pastor of counseling. He is an author. He has written numerous books. He, If you Google him, you will find him all over the internet with messages and seminars and we are just so grateful for the opportunity to talk to Lou today about loneliness. We have a vision of offering help and hope to hurting people and we know that loneliness is a deep wound that many, many people experience. So Lou, thank you so much for joining us and before we get started, tell us a little bit about yourself and maybe one thing that you do for fun. I like to fish. I... I like to write books and I'm a little bit of a foodie. I'm of Italian descent. So we have a lot of Italian food. My wife is a really, really good cook. So we eat a lot of Italian, but no, I like, I enjoy all, all kinds of food. Yeah. My husband is fully hundred percent Lebanese. And so we have, I've learned to cook some of those specialty dishes, but I know I can't compare to his mom. So you're fortunate <laughs> that your wife has that gift when you like it so much. So Lou, we're here to talk about loneliness, and you have said that even though loneliness can be painful, it can also be a blessing, and so that's what we want to hear about today is how we can find blessings in that loneliness. So before we jump into that, I think we should define loneliness. So can you do that for us? Loneliness is, it's a, it's a common experience, and it can be complex has many causes. It may or may not be the result of someone's individual sin, but it it can tempt one to further sin. I, actually, in the booklet, I, I offer several working definitions of, of loneliness. Many view loneliness as the result or simply as the result of not having the company of other people to enjoy, but loneliness is a compound emotion. As I said, it's not experienced exactly alike by every person. For some, it involves feelings of sadness or isolation. For many, it involves additional things like shame and grief and anger, inadequacy, inferiority. For some, it includes feelings of rejection and jealousy and envy. And the question is like, well, what exactly is loneliness? Is it a medical disease? Is it a genetic predisposition? Is it a sin? Is it circumstantial? Or is it more accurately a condition that, as Paul says in Corinthians, is common to man? For, for the Christian, loneliness may also be the result of not being in or enjoying God's fellowship. Mm -hmm. Loneliness can also be the result of having 
you know, a deficient relationship with God, not really being a Christian or a defective relationship with God. Sometimes people are lonely because they've never been saved from their sin, right? They've not put their trust in Christ. And consequently, they don't have the Holy Spirit, who for us is our best friend, right? We become Christians, the Spirit dwells us. Now we have this constant companion. And to give you one more thing about loneliness in terms of definition, it's sometimes the result, practically speaking, of expecting other people to meet our needs, expecting other people to do for us what only God can do. One of the things that I think is really critical for somebody who is hurting is to know that they're not unique that they share the hurt is that's one of the things we do with this podcast is we share stories of people who are further along in the journey of hard places. Who are some of the people, what are some of the comments in scripture that would help us to see that we're not alone in our loneliness? Well, as I said, you have, if you're a Christian, you have the Holy spirit, you have all kinds of verses in in the Bible that talk about the local church and how God has placed other people around us to, and commands them to love us in various ways. And so in the, in the context of the church, there are built in resources. And then just to know that, as I said before, there's no temptation that's overtaken you, but such as is common to man. There are people in the Bible who have experienced loneliness, right? Or at least being alone. They they like like Naomi was bereft of her husband, Anna, right, was married for seven years, spent the rest of her life in a, in a as a widow. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, was told by God not to marry, and his life increasingly became more and more difficult. Elijah said, I have been very jealous for the Lord. He thought he was all by himself. And then the Lord opened up his eyes and helped him to see that there were other people there. King David was very well acquainted with loneliness. He says, look to the right and see that there is none who takes notice of me. No refuge remains for me. No man cares for my soul. The Apostle Paul was abandoned by one of his closest friends and was left alone. He says <clears throat> to Timothy in 2 Timothy 9 through 11, do your best to come to me for Demas in love with this present world has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalm Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Greet Mark, bring him with you. He's very useful to me for ministry. At one point he and he, he had some issues with Mark, you remember. And then Barnabas came along and apparently ministered to him. And then it, it, one of the most fascinating portions of accounts in the New Testament, God opens a door of ministry for Paul to go through. And because of depression or loneliness, arguably, he doesn't go through it. Listen to 2 Corinthians 2, 12 through 13. When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, who comes there to preach the gospel, even though a door was open for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. So even Paul was 
alone and his loneliness, you know, motivated him to find his friend. And it's interesting, later on in the passage, it basically says, but wherever I go, I'm a blessing to other people. God uses me. So even though he didn't go through this door, right, he went to see Titus. God blessed his ministry while he was with Titus. Really fascinating passage of scripture. Well, as a pastor, I know you talk to lots of people who have, I mean, you're a biblical counselor, so you talk to people who have who are in middle of hard places and loneliness, but have you ever experienced loneliness yourself? And if you yeah. did, how did you find a way to a steady path? Yeah, of course. I mean, you know, like I mentioned in the book, is we all experience loneliness. It is a it is a common problem, you know, especially before I met my wife. I can remember distinctly being alone and having. I, I remember even before I really committed my life. I mean, this is really years ago to the Lord, being in a room full of people and just feeling so very very alone. And like I said, it's not fun. It's it's very very painful. So. Yes, I mean, God does provide resources for us to, to deal with or to handle the loneliness. For me, clearly, the number one resource, the thing that God used in, to help me through my loneliness was memorizing and meditating on his word as often as I could. Sometimes in counseling, I I give people what I refer to as a, a spiritual tranquilizer. The book of Psalms, for example, pretty much covers all the emotions that we can experience. By, by the way, this is not in the book. I'm just kind of answering this question. It's a good question. You know, since you asked me about myself, We don't use the word tranquilizer anymore. We use the word anxiolytic medication or anti-anxiety drug, but I like the word tranquilizer because it's associated with tranquility. Well, great peace have they which love thy law and nothing causes them, nothing shall cause them to stumble. <clears throat> so the word of God really does have tranquilizing effect. Anyway, what a, what a spiritual tranquilizer is, is when we go through emotional, any kind of painful emotions, loneliness, as I said, is is very, very painful. To find those passages of scripture, and often they're in the Psalms, but not necessarily, to find those passages, as, as, as you're reading your Bible, you know, routinely, and you come across a passage of scripture that relates to whatever, you know, whatever issue you may be struggling with on, on an emotional level, like anxiety or depression or whatever, loneliness in this case, you know, you identify those passages and reading God's word is very, very helpful. It does have a tranquilizing effect, <clears throat> but not to the same level of internalizing it. Okay, so last night we had some company and my, my wife made this Italian meal with you know, meatballs and sausage and pasta and some other things. And we had ice cream and oatmeal cookies for dessert. Today, that meal that I had last night is a part of me. So when you read scripture, it comes down and tranquilizes you. But when you internalize, it becomes a part of your soul. And it just has that much more of a tranquilizing effect. 
So for, for me, when I find myself distressed, I look to God's word. I try to recall the scriptures, memorize something. If I don't have it memorized, try to meditate on it and think it through for a period of time so that it, it kind of becomes a part of me and tends to assuage or, I don't know, deal with, comfort me. When when my anxious thoughts multiply within me, your, your comforts delight my soul. So for me, you know, it's basically internalizing and meditating on God's word. That was the, that was the, the silver bullet for me. So you mentioned the church and how the church comforts our loneliness, the fellowship that we have with one another. You know, for me, I've been a pastor or in a pastor's family all of my life. So even before I was in the ministry, when I was at church, I, I'm not going to say I was the center of attention, but I had people all around me. I mean, I was the pastor's kid growing up. I was involved in ministries. I, the, the church was like my second home. And then when I, then I, when I went into professional ministry, I was one of the leaders. And so when I would come into the room, there would be people that, I mean, many times as a pastor, and you know this, you'll go to an event and you, you can't even get to your table because, you know, right when you walk in the room, there's people that come to you and they need you. And so now I'm in a unique position where we moved from Delaware to Florida and we are nobodies now. When we go to church, we're, we're a nobody. And it's an interesting experience to sit there and to, and to not have anyone talk to you. We've gone to great churches. I'm not criticizing the churches, but just to look around and to see. Now, I'm not personally bothered by it. So I guess I, I have two questions out of that. First, what would you say to the man, and maybe there's women as well, so I don't want to be sexist about it, but to people, right, who I feel fine just being by myself. You know, I don't I don't feel like I need a lot of people. When I go to church, I maybe I want to be alone. Maybe I don't want anyone to talk to me, especially men who feel like, well, we don't need anyone. What do you what do you say to that? Um so presumably these individuals, men or, or women, because they have this mindset, they're not especially feeling lonely. Right. Yeah. I, I would say, well, God has given you different gifts and abilities and talents, and he didn't give them to you so that you could not use them. Hmm. You'd have to guard against s selfishness. And, you know, when you go to church, it's not just for the sermon and the singing and the worship. I mean, you're there to minister to other people. And so, I mean, I think we should, at some level, all of us be actively looking for people to whom we can encourage, to whom we can motivate, to whom we can fellowship and seek to minister to them. Mm -hmm. and, and another part of that is not being selfish about who your friends are. I mean, are, are you going to allow God to choose your friends on the basis of their needs, not on the basis of how cool of a friend they would be? Right. I mean, it's good to have those kinds of friends, but, you know, a lot of my friends are friends today because they had needs in the past and, you know, God put it on my heart to, or led them to me to help them. And now I ministered to them and then they grew and they matured. And now they're in a much better position to minister to me. So not to be selfish with, with our friends, not to be selfish with our gifts and to 
And to go to church with the mindset is I'm not just here to get fed. I'm here to feed and to minister and to shepherd other people. So to be on the lookout when you go to church for others that you can reach out to instead of turning it around on yourself and waiting for other people to come to you. Right. Exactly. It's hard in a large church where you feel like a number as opposed to a smaller church where, I mean, and I'm seeing that for the first time as well, being on the other side of it. It's just, it's a very interesting position to be in as a pastor where I've been a pastor or leader in a large church of my life. And now I'm on the other side of it. So I'm sitting in the congregation as a quote unquote, a number. Yeah. I'm in an interesting situation. I mean, just for the record, I'm really not a mega church guy. I kind of prefer small churches, but our church in Buckhead is exploding. Mm. You know, we've got like almost 1200 people now. Wow. And the one thing, if you, if you to ask the people like, what is it about our church that you, you know, is the biblical counseling? Is it the, is it the preaching? Is it the elder leadership? Like, what is it? The most common answer is the community. We have like 70 small groups, something mm-hmm. like that, right? And it can be done in a large church, but I'm telling you, it has to be very, very intentional. Mm-hmm. And then the small group community is something that a lot of our members long to go to so that they can have fellowship and, and accountability and additional, you know, application of, of scripture. So it can be done, but it ha- it won't it won't happen by osmosis. It's got to you've got to kind of be super lapsarian about it. Mm-hmm. You say, Lou, that loneliness is an epidemic, and yet we have never been more connected as far as social media and all of that goes. So I, you know, I think we're we're kind of segueing, we're kind of going into that. Um, that thought of loneliness is an epidemic, and yet you're speaking now to what the solution is, part of the solution. But why do you say that loneliness is an epidemic? Even before, even before the COVID pandemic, it was considered an epidemic. A few years ago in Great Britain, they they developed a new ministry, ministry of minister a new position and the i guess the accompanying equipment that goes with that individuals but the ministry minister of loneliness i mean it 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 really really is becoming a worldwide problem people are marrying later there are other factors and then of course during covid it just like put the whole thing on steroids so there there are a lot of factors right now that contribute to and then of course as you mentioned social media right i saw i saw a bumper sticker i think it was a bumper sticker a a few years ago i kind of chuckled it says i don't need facebook i have real friends Mm -hmm. and i mean you know you can do a lot virtually i mean i counsel people virtually on zoom and so it's it's pretty cool to be able to do that but you can't get 100% from a virtual friendship. There's something to be said about being in people's presence. You hardly find the word, you often, you often find the word fellowship in the Bible connected to food somewhere, right? So, I mean, there's just that that part of it where you need the human 
contact, the human connection. And without that, it intensifies people's loneliness. Yeah, you had a quote in your book that I thought was awesome and really thought-provoking for me. It says, I've saved this one for last for a good reason. In my years of counseling Christians, I have found this to be one of the most common sources or partial causes for their loneliness. At some level, it is probably true for most of us. And this is the part that really got me. Our thought patterns and motives are so unbiblical that they cannot be concealed. They make their way out of our hearts and manifest themselves in our words, attitudes, and actions. This, in turn, tempts others to want to avoid us. The solution is not to avoid people out of fear of being rejected, but rather to allow the Lord to sanctify our thoughts and motives through the Spirit and the Word. And I the, the I mean, the whole quote is awesome, but the part that got to me, I mean, as I read it again, this in turn tempts others to want to avoid us. Like, we don't really think of it that way. We think, well, if I want to have friends, I can go out and get friends. It's it's on me to go get the friends, right? And that's part of it. But yet it could be that we're repelling people. And you, the, the, your point here, that's as far as what I could read, is that we might have things inside of us that we never say, but those words and those thoughts, we wear them. You know, we wear them and people can see them and they sense them in us. Is that what you were saying there? Yeah. In fact, and then I, I unpack some of the more prevalent kinds of off-putting sins that people struggle with mm -hmm. uh, sins that that are off-putting to other people so jesus said a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth that which is good an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth that which is evil out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks so there's a sense in which what's in our hearts sooner or later is going to come out in fact if you study the word heart in the bible i mean it is like almost always connected to the outer man the heart is the inner man and it's contrasted, it's juxtaposed to the outer man. So if you read in the Bible, it's the heart versus the mouth, the heart versus the lips, the heart versus the tongue, the heart versus the countenance, the heart versus the hands, the heart versus the feet. It's the inner man versus the outer. God, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. But, you know, the show of your countenance witnesses against you and you declare your sin as Sodom. So other people can sense our selfishness or our pride. I mean, pride is probably the biggest one. Our, our insecurities, our fear. And again, not that it's right, they shouldn't, you know, reject us because of that. But if we're going to deal with loneliness, we have to consider, you know, could it be that there's some kind of sinful pattern, attitude, uh, action, whatever, that is off-putting to other people? Hmm. I mean, what, it, what kinds of things, what kinds of things, when you think about things that are off-putting, that cause us to be lonely, that cause us to not have friends. I mean, we deal with that a lot with the girls that we minister to. I mean, we're trying to prepare them for the marathon of life. You know, we're trying to prepare them that, you know, when they get out in the real world, there's certain behaviors that are going to cause them to not have any friends. Um, in your experience, you know, what are some of those, what are some of those off-putting behaviors? All right. Well, probably at the top of the list is, I guess the very top of this is selfishness. Selfishness has all comes in all you know kinds of show-stopping forms, but pride, mm. fear, withdrawing from other people, being inordinately anxious, um, anger, 
impatience, intolerance. I mean, again, that's just to get started. I, like I said, I mentioned, I mentioned several of them in the book, but those would be the ones that sort of jump to mind right away. And again, the point, yeah, one, the point, is, point is, you know, as a Christian, you've got to recognize these things as sins against God, as things that are making uh-huh. you miserable, and to a certain extent, as things that could be off-putting to other people. And again, the solution is not so much, it's not primarily to put off, you know, it's not like I've got to stop being so selfish. What's the opposite of selfishness? It's love. Love for God and love for, it's putting on love. Love you, love uh-huh. the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself, right? It's not stop being so proud or boastful or whatever, so much as it is clothe yourself with humility. It's not so much, you know, stop being afraid. It's a matter of there is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. Again, learning how to love God and love neighbor. And in the process of doing that, you put off your fear. It's not just a matter of stop worrying. It's a matter of learning how to trust God, learn how to stop pushing the panic button, learning how to have a gentle and quiet spirit. Mm. I go on, but that hopefully gives you the flavor of what I'm talking about. Yeah, the gentle and quiet spirit, that resonates with me. What I've noticed as a pastor, that the people, some people, I don't want to I don't want to paint with too broad a brush here, but the people who struggle the most with loneliness many times are people who don't know how to listen mm-hmm. and don't know how to just sit and be still. Extroverted people many times, like the, the, the ones that are hyper extroverted and talk so much. I know that as a pastor, you've probably experienced this as well the people who just corner you and talk and talk and talk, and then they'll complain that they're lonely. Well, they're repelling people because they're conversationally abusing others. Um, Speak to that. Like the, just the, the idea of just being a, I think that just being an active, good listener. I mean, we'll learn you so many friends. (laughs) At least once a week, I end up in my counseling and even in my informal, you know, relationships with other people. Quoting Proverbs 18.2, a fool, and I actually assigned it. I want you to memorize this passage. A fool has no delight in understanding, but only in giving his own opinion. And then you right. jump on the verse 13. It says, he who answers a matter before he hears it, it is folly and shame on him. Let every man be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow. And, and you know, yeah, you get into a pattern where, you, you know, you think you're the smart, smartest person in the room and everyone is just, you know, hanging on every word as opposed to just asking questions, right? And right. diagnosing the problem and showing concern. Absolutely. In Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 2, it says counsel or plans or whatever. We don't really know what the Hebrew word means for sure. There's something in the heart of man that's as deep waters. A wise man draws it out. So it's mm-hmm. a matter of learning how to ask questions, learning how to talk in terms of the, another person's interest, getting them to give you the information you need. And then once you have enough information, a lot of times they'll ask you for advice. And, and if not, then you having collected all the information are going to be in a much better position to be able to minister to them and to meet their needs and address some of the issues that they're struggling with. Yeah. There's so many times that I've had conversations with church members or counseling, or just even just a friendly conversation and they will talk 90% of the time. um, And I will listen and I might say a few things, but then later on they'll come back and they'll say, 
you know, that, that the thing you shared with me was really real. And I thought, when, when did I even speak yeah, during the conversation? Yeah. So it's not about, I think of that proverb, we say this to the girls a lot here, that when words are many, sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. And we used to have our own kids, when they would memorize that passage, actually hold your tongue and see how you could talk when you were holding your tongue, because you can't. But it's just such powerful imagery. I, I really appreciate this give and take between two pastors and two counselors. One of the goals we have with our conversations and our podcasts, especially when we're speaking with an author and there is a book that that person has written is that we want it to be like salty peanuts that you're listening and you're saying, okay, I got to hear more about this. And so Lou, tell us a little bit about the book that is coming out on loneliness. Tell us, you know, why you wrote it and why you think it's going to be helpful. You know, First of all, the book, the book is out. I think, I think like this week it came out. So I got my copy last week. So I think it is now readily available. Um, you know, when I write books, I, I try to, I've got a list of books, you know, like a hundred books that need to be written from a biblical perspective by me or somebody else. And so, you know, I try to write books that address needs that haven't really been addressed from a biblical perspective, at least not recently. And so uh, to be more practical about it, it's like I'm sitting there counseling somebody and I'm thinking, oh, I wish I had a resource for that. Let's see. Has anyone written on that in the last 50 years? And so as a, as a counselor who assigns homework, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, okay, somebody's got to write a book that deals with this issue from a thoroughly biblical perspective, you know, and, you know, do you have the ability to write that book? So, that is, that's what motivates all the books that I, I write, almost all of them. And yeah, it just became increasingly apparent. I, I guess the biggest trigger, so I guess the biggest trigger for me, so up until I, I started working here in Atlanta, my, my typical breakdown of counselees was 50% marriage, 20% interpersonal relationships, whether it's in-laws or two people in the church having a conflict with each other, I'm the true yoke fellow, or, you know, sibling relationships or, or that I mentioned in-laws, parent-child, that kind of thing. And then, you know, 25 to 30% of what I've done up to this point has typically been the, been the individual problems like depression, anxiety, loneliness, eating disorders, whatever. Well, so then I come to Christ covenant and the demographics of the church are much different. 50% of our members are young adults between the ages of, I know, 22 and 35. And so all of a sudden I'm counseling a lot, a higher percentage of, of single people. And again, it's not that only single people are lonely. So anyway, it just became, I became acutely aware of how much of an issue this really is amongst our single adults and especially as we say for whatever reasons right or wrong people getting married later and later on the whole and there's divorce rate and other things factor into it so i was kind of put in a situation you know and i'd written i'd written in another book a few years ago about loneliness but it's like wait a minute i gotta go deeper this is not I even mean, that was good for that was you know good band-aid but now i really need to study this thing more and really try to to address it in a more robust comprehensive way so anyway I think I, I lost your question, but that's why that's why oh, I wrote the. That's what I wanted to know. 
Yeah. And it's a, it's a, like a devotional that it's, the book has lots of questions in it and it's very helpful on unpacking a lot of what we talked about today. So the book is available anywhere. I hope that you guys will get it, read it, pass it on. I think it's going to be a really critical tool of help and hope for hurting people. One of the things as we're wrapping up, Lou, I'd like for you to address is you said that loneliness as painful as it is can also be a blessing. What, what do you mean by that? God has designed us so so that when we experience pain, um, it is a sort of a, an alarm clock. It lets us know that there's a problem going on. For example, I mean, except for maybe, you know, an annual checkup or, yeah, at the dentist or the doctors, most of us would never go to a doctor unless we're in some kind of pain. So pain is kind of a good thing because it lets us know that there's a problem that may have to be addressed. So in that sense, loneliness can be a good thing because it it shows us that we need to depend on God more. It shows us that there may be something going on in our life that needs to be addressed you know maybe we're lonely because we're experiencing a transient lifestyle it's not necessarily a problem that we have uh, a sin that we have committed maybe it's that we're not christians maybe it's that we are christians but we're on the word on a regular basis maybe it's like uh, like we said before there, there's some kind of off-putting characteristic that the lord wants me to address Maybe I'm suffering for righteousness and God just wants me to draw closer to him. So again, it's sort of like a smoke detector. I, I, I kind of view painful emotions as a smoke detector that lets us know there's a fire in our life potentially. And the solution is not to smash the smoke detector, you know, by, you know, anesthetizing yourself with drugs or whatever. The solution is to find out where the fire is in your life and then learn how to biblically put it out. Well, I can speak to the blessings of loneliness. When we lost our son, Mark, there's, you know, you can be in a room full of people and still be so lonely because such a big part of your heart is missing. And truly the only source of comfort for me was the word and running to his word. And the idea of, as a Christian, as you said earlier, the Holy Spirit is our friend and to see God's words of comfort again and again and again. And those of you who are listening, it could be that that's where you need to start. That's where you, especially if you know the Lord is running to his word and pouring out your heart to him. He invites our questions. He doesn't judge, you know, turn us away. He holds us as we like to say tightly in his grip. He will not turn away his child And he invites us to see that he is the only one who can truly meet that loneliness um, that is a core issue in our heart. But then, as I'm so grateful, Lou, for you pointing out, is that there are sin patterns, too, that and the word can lead us to that. I think the word can lead us to those places where we say, Lord, is there something in me? And you say that sometimes we need to repent. And so how, how does the word lead us to that place of repentance? And what do you mean by that? Because I can see some people kind of cringing and being yeah. angry that you would say that. 
Yeah, in the book that I kind of make a, a corny joke, I, I I start out by saying, what would you say if I said you had to repent of your loneliness? And then, you know, I kind of answered for the reader. I say, I'm not going to read another word of your book. I said, hold on, so what do you think? The word repent in the Greek is metanoia. Meta has to do with, again, and noise has to do with your thinking. So we understand that the Greek word for repentance is to change your thinking, but etymologically, it means to rethink, to think again. And so my point initially uh, in the book is that you may have to reevaluate, rethink your definition of loneliness. Loneliness is not necessarily the result of you're not having fellowship with the company of another person to enjoy. It could be something else. And so I, I, I start out the book by helping the people to try to lower or reevaluate their definition of what causes loneliness, what it is and what causes it, and then to teach them throughout the whole book to learn how to rethink, to learn how to change the way they interpret the circumstances and the feelings that they are in the midst of. And, and then, of course, later on, I talk about specific things that, you know, specific kinds of sins that may have to be repented of. But initially, it was just, I, I want you to reconsider how you view loneliness, not necessarily to repent of the sin. Yeah, I had a the quote here. Um, you said about rash judgments. But mm -hmm. before we before we we end with you, I definitely want to ask you about this. Once our thinking becomes distorted by anxiety, it's usually not long before we become prone to making judgments about people that are uncharitable and based on little or no evidence. Rather than believing the best about people, as First Corinthians thirteen seven requires. We are quick to assume the worst, especially about their motives. That this, you know, that this is so true. What you write, and it can lead to to loneliness for sure. But the part that I struggle with that is that people are people are rough. I mean, people do let you down. People do betray you, even really great friends. And so, can you speak to someone out there who? has has trusted people and has poured their heart out to others and has been there for others, but yet they've been hurt again and again and again. And they just get to a point where they self-protect and they do believe the worst about other people because Romans three talks about that. You know, there is none righteous, no, not one. There's plenty of passages that just uh, Jeremiah 17, nine, the heart is deceitful above all things who can understand it. So, uh, so because we're trying to land the plane here and I don't have a whole yeah. lot of let me let me first say that I actually have written a little booklet called Judgments Rash or Righteous. Mm -hmm. It's actually in the same series, but so I, I unpack it a lot more in that particular book. Nevertheless, the short answer, shorter answer to your question is basically this. And I'm really shortening it because it's it's not yeah. it's a big but, question. <laughs> So, I mean, basically, the Bible says confidence in an unfaithful man in time of trouble is like a broken foot and a tooth out of joint or a broken yeah. tooth out of joint. So, I mean, it's not necessarily a sin for you not to trust people who have proven themselves to be untrustworthy. I, I would hmm. argue it's foolish to trust someone who is unfaithful, right? I mean, un and the word faithful in the Bible means trustworthy, dependable, reliable. So... You're not sinning if you 
you're not being uncharitable if someone has given you good reason not to trust them if you don't trust them before they demonstrate to you that they are, you know, once again, trustworthy. So short of someone giving you clear evidence that they can't be trusted, the default position for the Christians, especially with each other, should be, look, we're going to believe all things. We're going to put the bet. Love believes all things. Love does not think evil. Bottom line is being interpreted means, look, if, if I do something, and there are 10 possible explanations as to why I did it in your mind. Nine of them are bad. And only one of them is good. And it takes a little bit of faith to, to, to believe the one. If you love me and there's no evidence to the contrary, you will reject the nine and make every effort to believe the best about me, to believe that one good interpretation. Yeah, when someone shows you who they are, believe them the first time that's the other side of it and that was what i heard in your earlier comments that kind of hit me convicted me a little bit it's that well if someone has proven to be untrustworthy you have no business trusting them again unless they've rebuilt that trust and so so many times we might complain about that you know people aren't trustworthy and it's because we've trusted the wrong people you know we've 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 trusted and i we see that here all the time as well. And you see it in counseling, you know, the, the, the destructive relationships that we go back to. Um, and, and the, and the issue, the issue of hurt and rejection is another, you know, takes a lot more time to go into, but I, it's an important, it's an important one. I, I just, uh, I just did a conference somewhere this weekend, last weekend, and they wanted me to speak on hurt and rejection. And although it's not a complete list, I, I basically went to Ephesians 4, 31 and 32, sinful ways to respond to rejection and hurt. Bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking along with all malice. Biblical ways to respond to rejection and hurt. Kindness, tenderheartedness, and forgiveness. And I, I, am, I unpack that. The difficulty comes when we've been hurt and rejected in the past and we've developed a sinful way to respond when people reject us or hurt us, right? We we respond internally by the things we tell ourselves and we respond externally with how we talk to them or not talk to them as the case may be, you know, how vindictive we are when they, when they hurt us. So you, you can have this, this pattern of being hurt and rejected and responding sinfully for years and years and years. Then you become a Christian. Okay, great. Then you realize, well, I've got to forgive these people who've rejected and hurt me in the past. Okay. So you work on that. That's all great. But unless you identify and correct the sinful ways you are responding in your heart going forward, when people in the future hurt and reject you, you're going to continue to be miserable. So it's not just becoming a Christian. It's not just forgiving people in the past who've offended us. It's recognizing that when we get hurt and and rejected, that if we are still responding sinfully in our hearts or, or or with our bodies to that other person, then we have really dealt with the issue and we're going to continue to respond unbiblically and be miserable. Yeah. Wow. I think we need to have you come back and talk about this. I, I am 
I'm loving what you're saying, but it is so hard. It is, you know, speaking from experience, I love the idea that we have to go back and figure out those sinful patterns that have become a part of who we are in response to hurt. And by faith, God opens up his word to us. And sometimes, friends, we need somebody to walk with us. We need a, a counselor that can be objective. And I would encourage you to look into biblical counseling. In fact, Mark Inc. Ministries has started Anchored Hope Biblical Counseling, and you can find out more about this by going to markinc.org or by downloading our free app, Help and Hope app, where all of our resources are. We have had as our guest on the Help and Hope podcast, Lou Priolo. I am so grateful for you, Lou. You have unpacked a lot today and i think that we have achieved our goal of salty peanuts because you like you said it's it's way too much for this platform to unpack completely and we know that and we are so grateful that we have resources we can turn you to lou's book on loneliness and we will have other resources from lou in the show notes at markinc.org Again, I'm Sharon Betters, and this is the Help and Hope podcast, and my co-host has been Chuck Betters, not my husband, but our son, Chuck, and we are so grateful you joined us today, and we look forward to being with you again. Thank you for listening to this Help and Hope podcast produced by Mark Inc. Ministries. Be sure to like, comment, and subscribe. Visit markinc.org, M-A-R-K-I-N-C.org to find additional free resources on a variety of topics. Online counseling services are also available through Anchored Hope Biblical Counseling by visiting helpandhopenow.org. That's helpandhopenow.org. Download the Help and Hope app on your mobile device. Hope is just one click away.